This is a podcast from BFM 89.9, The Business Station. It is 5.08. You're listening to the Evening Edition with Sharmila and Lynn. First up today, how can we maximize overseas training tip trips <laughs> for those tips, a.k.a. Lawatan Sambil Blaja? So this is coming uh, because Malaysia is considering sending lecturers and trainers, particularly those working in the field of TVET, to South Korea and Turkey for the Training of Trainers program. It's a lot of T sounds today. Um, now, according to the Deputy Prime Minister, Datuk Sri Dr. Ahmad Zayed Hamidi, the country uh, should explore opportunities with both uh, with both of these nations, saying that South Korea has uh, well-established TVET institutions, Turkey has high skills when it comes to to the defence industry. And um, if we look at other times in the past, the government has sent lecturers under this training of trainers program to both Germany and Japan. So the training of trainers, again, lots of T's, um, is part of the government's effort to speed up and improve the training and skills of the new workforce. Um, And essentially, it tries to focus on several things that it can get from other countries, right? So what they highlight is cultural awareness, um, exposing trainers to people of different cultures and customs, uh, also teaching methodologies. Uh, They also talk about focusing on best practices, uh, emphasizing networking and collaboration, language and communication skills, adaptability, inclusivity and diversity, as well as personal growth. So, of course, these are all um, nice sounding buzzwords, although they are important and they serve they do go a long way in terms of that upskilling of our trainers and our our educators. But um, I think it is worth thinking about why and where we're sending people and what sort of skills we want to uh, bring bring back to Malaysia or where the gaps are essentially. Well, I mean, there is that. But I, I think in general also, um, I'm interested in how we maximize these programs and these trips, right? Because uh, we send people abroad, we have these existing things, but then the the question then becomes... um, when they come back, do we see actual improvement, right? Do we see actionables? Do we see the the impact of these programs? And that's a wider question, perhaps. Um, I, I think to your point, though, what we send hold on, where we send people to and why and what we're trying to get them to achieve is a very interesting question because every single time we have done this show talking about, I want to say almost anything, Singapore gets brought up. Mm -hmm. Sometimes I would argue needlessly, but you know, there we are, they're here. And um, often about all sorts of things, about transportation, about education, about... um, Government efficiency. Singapore, for example, is is cited for so many things. Uh, thanks to a former prime minister's look east policy, also for a very long time, Japan was regarded as a gold standard um, in any number of issues. So I think if we look around the world now, it, it's um, we we see shifting shifting power balances overall. I think that's fair to say. So I'm quite interested to hear today what you would like to see taken from other countries that we could import here and kind of make our own? Actually, the shifting power balance is also so interesting, right? Because I'm trying to recall who it was we had on our show, but when we were talking about uh, cyclable cities and the fact that Amsterdam gets brought up so often um, and how perhaps that may not be the easiest model for us to adopt just because of how in terms of weather, in terms of landscape, geography, and even our trajectory of development 
development. KL is perhaps quite different and whether there are other cities that we could be looking to, um, other models that we could be adapting. So, And of course, I am also aware that a lot of this has to do with also diplomatic ties and channels and what works best. So there's a lot really to unpack when we talk about these um, work and learn trips abroad that we're sending our experts to. I know, but we don't have to do that because the, the <laughs> diplomatic ties thing is something for the government to think about, right? Absolutely. But if we're just playing the what if game, right, or what could we do, then we're not tied to anything except expertise. And I think considering the fact that we often hear from folks who have lived abroad, actually, mm. studied abroad, worked abroad, and therefore had significant experience in countries beyond being there for five days and going, wow, so livable. You know, I think that I, I hope that we're going to have an interesting conversation today. So we want to hear from you, really. What best practices can we take from other countries? What would you like to see? You can call double seven double three two nine hundred, send us a voice note or WhatsApp zero one eight seven eight nine double eight double nine, tweet us at BFM Radio. We're open to all ideas from the most practical to the most um, idealistic. We want them all. Keep them coming and keep it here. BFM eighty nine point nine. Be free minded. BFM eighty nine point nine. BFM 89.9, that was Marvin Gaye with What's Going On. It is 5.18. You're listening to the Evening Edition with Sharmila and Lynn. And we've been talking about sending our experts, our trainers overseas um, for upskilling, for learning. Um, and this is because Malaysia is considering sending lecturers and trainers, particularly in the field of TVET to South Korea and Turkey, uh, for training. And so we're really expanding that conversation to talk about these trips overseas and what we want brought back to us. What best practices can we take from other countries? What would you like to see? You can call double seven double three two nine hundred, send us a voice note or WhatsApp zero one eight seven eight nine double eight double nine, tweet us at BFM Radio. Lynn, do you have a wish list? Well, I, I've been thinking about this and it's so many different things. I would import so many countries' train systems. Um, I mean, I know we already have actually, to be fair, right? Like in, in terms of our MRT, LRT in particular, I don't, we don't have to go all the way back to colonial times, but um, with the more recent iterations of our public transportation network, we know that we have gone to other countries and tried to learn from them. And I think that, um, I think, We've seen it happen and then it gets hampered by maybe trying to retrofit it into existing problematic town planning. So maybe if I back up further, I would like to um, maybe have an opportunity to go all the way back to basics and make our city more understandable <laughs> in, terms of, in terms of how it's been plotted out. Oh, um, that's... Actually, that would uh, intersect so many aspects, right, from city planning to uh, documentation to um, architecture. And, and I really think that that's a good example of something where it's not so direct who would benefit from this kind of training. But I can see so much value in studying different cities that have different sorts of uh, evolution, not just because the default is always to think of Western cities. Um, but I do think that there have been a lot of Asian cities, ta uh, Taipei, for instance, uh, that have managed to do the shift towards modernity, despite having come from relatively humble backgrounds. Um, but I was actually thinking about, um, or rather I was thinking about areas that I'm particularly passionate about. Um, and 
it got me thinking about how India, especially in the last uh, decade or so, has in leaps and bounds managed to figure out a way to professionalize and also increase the, um, what's the word, the, the preservation as well as the ethical issues surrounding their craft industries. Um, you know, whether you're talking about uh, fabric weaving or, or sari weaving, or whether you're talking about pottery or any of those um, crafts that India is so associated with, they've really worked out ways to look through the supply chain to make sure that artisans are getting their due, that there's enough being done to provide training opportunities and growth opportunities. Uh, they've uh, managed to use, uh, I think the thing, um, one of the big things that people always talk about are the uh, what they call the certification, so that you get a certification for a particular uh, fabric, for instance, having been sourced ethically, I think there's so much we could learn from a country like India when it comes to preserving our preserving and giving our craft industry their due. That's a good point, partly because that's something that the government has in fact been talking about a lot, right? About wanting to enhance our craft industry, wanting to ensure that actually artisans can make a living from it. Um, that, that's been a big one. And I think I know some people will argue that there are bigger things to figure out, but the truth is that if we're going to be sending people abroad to try and learn things anyway, you might as well diversify. No, absolutely. I mean, obviously, there are your your low-hanging fruit, right? And But the problem is that we've actually been doing that all along. We've been sending people abroad to study education systems since I don't know how long. You're always hearing about teachers and teaching educators going abroad to learn about education. Um, I'm sh uh, And then within the medical industry, it's such a common practice to have this kind of transfer of knowledge. So I was trying to think of something a little bit more offbeat, I suppose. Yes. And anyway, keep your thoughts coming. Um, we are asking you what um, we are asking you, what best practices can we take from other countries? What would you like to see? You can call double seven double three two nine hundred, send a voice note or WhatsApp zero one eight seven eight nine double eight double nine. Tweet us at BFM Radio. We have this that's coming from TIDJ. TIDJ says Japan's town planning, specifically Tokyo's town planning, we need to, to develop horizontally, not vertically. Our obsession with building higher and taller isn't sustainable, nor does it benefit us as a whole. And you know, TIDJ, I love the mention of, well, I would, but, but I love the mention of Tokyo in part because Tokyo's a massive city. Tokyo's really huge. If you've been, um, you know, it, it is widespread, uh, the neighbourhoods are in and of themselves, large and yet the ability to travel back and forth between them um, in a day to kind of walk places um, and this notion of developing horizontally, not vertically is so interesting. Partly um, because when you think of Tokyo anyway you might think of skyscrapers. Yes, that's true. Um, I think actually there's so much there. Um, I I actually love the way Tokyo is laid out. I know it's not for everyone. It can be a little overwhelming for many people. It's dizzy. Yeah, uh, but I think this point exactly about um, as we move forward, do we want to go with the higher, taller apartment buildings or do we want to go with something a little bit more spread out that feels a little bit more um, homey, perhaps? I think that's a that's a that's an interesting thing to talk about. Legion um, also actually looking east, saying South Korea how they unshackle their entertainment industry from tyrannical political control and now have produced award-winning films and series. Japan, cleanliness and education. America, IT and software and also the arts and film scene. India, how they 
managed to increase the number of their tigers. Bhutan, sustainable tourism. China, panda diplomacy. So, tapir diplomacy. Oh, tapir diplomacy. Imagine. <laughs> People would go crazy for baby tapirs. They would. They really would. I mean, the photo ops alone. Baby tapirs are so cute. We did a show yes. about this, but yes. Baby um, tapirs are so cute. What a great list, though. It is. Um, I, I think that the South Korea point is so interesting, partly because, as we know, Hallyu Wave, right? Ongoing, um, the soft power the soft power potential or rather the soft power power that we're seeing from South Korea really can't be underestimated. And a big part of that did come from this loosening of political control. I would say, though, that um, if we were to kind of go there, I would also like to see an entertainment industry that isn't so um, hierarchical in nature and also not so built on intense um, intense training, intense, you know, because I think if if you're familiar with the South Korean entertainment industry, it isn't just sort of free spirits floating around. There no. is that. Um, but there is also a relentless approach to kind of trying to get the next wave of talent and, and that being ongoing. Um, but I love that mention. I'm also interested that with America, we still have IT and software, partly because in many other areas, I think America has been overtaken. Yes, I did find that an interesting um, an interesting point from you, Lee Jun. But um, I was actually more interested about uh, America and the arts model because I'm personally not the biggest fan of the American arts industry model, mostly because they are very driven by uh, ticket sales. And, and essentially, even though there are smaller grants and, and all available, a lot of them run on patronage, a lot of them run on sponsorship. And I've often wondered whether that's the best system, whereas something like, uh, uh, I suppose, the European system or even the Australian system, they function a lot by government encouragement and support, particularly for different and smaller communities. Maybe it's the idealistic in me, um, I feel like I've leaned more towards that. Shamila, call it what it is. The Americans have commercialized it. I was, I was like, look, I love the Hamiltons of the world. I do. <laughs> but yes, Americans basically have turned it into an industry. Yes. Um, and for, for, better, for better and for worse, I think that the that's actually something that we didn't talk about, but I wanted to, which is that when we go abroad to learn, there is actually an element of um, take, you take the good and the bad. Because I'm not sure there's so much of a point in learning only best practices without also being able to assess when somebody um, or when the way that something is done doesn't actually work for us or maybe isn't the best approach to take at all. Let's see. Um, all right. I think we have time for this voice note that's come in from Johnny. Um, here, here's Johnny. Hello, BFM. I'm a baby boomer. I was teaching for some time and also I'm a qualified engineer, but I'm 62. I just couldn't find a job at the college, whether is it a private or public store. Instead of looking overseas for talent, why don't, we, why don't we get our talent locally from the baby boomers who are so experienced and who have so much knowledge? What a waste. Thank you. Johnny, actually, thank you for that. Um, I think I suppose that sobering thought that while we do look for talent overseas um, or training overseas in this case, that uh, perhaps it is also worth looking at what we have locally and how we can harness older experts and talent to come back and, and still contribute to our systems. 
I think that we are talking about different things here. Mm. So um, I, by no means should we dismiss people with experience. But I think the benefit of going abroad is uh, theoretically fresh ideas that you haven't been exposed to. Um, whereas going with older folks tends to be more about um, harnessing experience, right? And, and these are two separate ideas, I think, at the moment. Anyway, keep your thoughts coming. We are asking you, what best practices can we take from other countries? What would you like to see? You can call double seven double three two nine hundred, send a voice note or WhatsApp zero one eight seven eight nine double eight double nine. Tweet us at BFM Radio. Bigotry free Malaysia, BFM eighty nine point nine. It's 5.38. You're listening to the Evening Edition with Sharmila and Lynn. And we're talking about government lawatan sabil belajar. Uh, so at the moment, there are plans for uh, the TVET trainers to go to South Korea and Turkey as a way of upskilling and to um, learn how to explore, to explore opportunities and bring back skills, essentially. So we're expanding that conversation to talk about overseas trips and best practices that we can bring back for ourselves. We want to hear from you. So far, people have brought up Japan, they've brought up India, They've brought up Bhutan. Japan again. Japan again. (laughs) No one's brought up Singapore, um, but Bhutan for sustainable tourism was one that I really liked. Anyway, we'd like to hear from you. What best practices can we take from other countries? What would you like to see? You can call 77332900, send us a voice note or WhatsApp 018789899, tweet us at BFM Radio. We have more thoughts coming in. Okay, um, Singapore incoming. VT says... It's normally the execution and continuation of plans that fail. We should start to just learn from our neighbours, like Singapore, Thailand or Vietnam for a start. They're closer to our culture, our background, history and climate. We don't need to go all the way so far and benchmark against first world countries as there are lots of fundamentals that need to be there first. For example, education, governance, functional economy plans, long-term plans. Um, VT, what I love about this is your mention of Singapore and um, they'll simultaneously be insulted that you don't consider them a first world country to <laughs> Benchmark against, um, so, but in all seriousness, um, I I love the idea of learning closer to home. Um, I think that that's hugely important, and in many ways, we can learn a lot from Singapore, Thailand and Vietnam. What is interesting, though, is that just because countries are near us, and this is something that I think about quite a bit, um, particularly in relation to our history and our um, our history in colonialism in particular, what's interesting is that even though we're nearby, even though we might share a climate, even though um, we look like each other, sometimes our colonial history so informs, um, it so informs our backbone. Do you know what I mean? Oh no, for sure. Um, I do think that these similarities and differences actually shape a lot of um, both what is feasible and applicable within our different contexts, but also maybe where we look to for this sort of uh, skills or inspiration and so on. Um, This one is, well, okay, firstly, I just wanted to read Andrew who says, can they bring back the salary scale here? Andrew, 
were if they could i would be very impressed and very happy sadly that's just not how economics work um in the meantime uh jx says the education systems especially higher education and academic research systems i've been working with many local universities frankly speaking the research standard for most of the research groups both from a software and hardware system can't meet the needs of the requirements of being a competitive group i can see a lot of staff in these research groups have international backgrounds or overseas study experiences but the standards they put for themselves may only just be above the passing score however for research groups in the US they may set their standards as 10 am i understanding this right okay um right so jx you're speaking in general about education system right um because i was thinking that this actually applies to the groups that we send abroad as well and mm. um going back to the point we were talking about earlier about um impact and how we are assessing the impact but even how we are assessing what people bring back um but i see now that you're making a wider point about about higher education um and i think jx is actually um i've heard the the point about research being brought up uh, a number of times actually mm. particularly in terms of strengthening our research ecosystem and even what we mean when we say we're doing uh, we're doing research into this or that because uh it's all well and good to say they've been published in this journal or that journal but what's the wider impact of that research is also important um let's see uh, tidj is back to say if i may add my mum worked for the government she was sent to hong kong and singapore to learn about their housing systems what she'd learned the report she submitted eventually was unused it was unfeasible apparently what's the point of sending experts to learn if in all likelihood there's no intention of actually incorporating it into local development Well, that's really valuable to know that that there has been this situation before, right? But I think also the the part that interests me in all of this is um why maybe VT was talking earlier about going closer to home and how that might be a way to ensure that what you're getting is more feasible than not. Um Manmit says enforcement please. We have the regulations but very little enforcement. I I'm curious Manmit which country. So um I I think that the because we're talking today not just about wish list right but where we we would specifically like to take it. Um Sharmila are you familiar with the Hong Kong drama ICAC? No no I'm not. <laughs> well um but you're familiar of course with the ICAC. Yes. So for a very long time I I um, thought at first you meant just the drama around it but then I realized you're actually no. talking about a show. No, I'm going to say it. It was a TVB drama and <laughs> um and they were showing it on uh RTM here which is how I saw it back in the day. But I I bring it up because I I thought that that I've always thought that that's a really interesting way to get people invested in it. It's actually my first exposure to the notion of um Hong Kong trying to clean up its institutions, right? And it kept coming into my head um during all the conversations about the IPCMC and so on. And so I think that there is something to be said about learning enforcement from certain countries um there's also something to be said about learning to glamorize enforcement not just glamorize you know like the bad guys but actually glamorize the good guys so we did say japan's by and far the front runner when it comes to places to emulate uh, felicia is just saying japan for the discipline uh, but vt is saying the japanese work ethic and culture is world class uh, is world class start work on time work hard detailed kids all walk to school even at a young age because it's safe everyone cleans up after themselves people don't throw rubbish anywhere um all these are 
fundamental upbringings from young. So don't just go for train the trainer unless there's an appetite to get the whole country marching forward. Look, we don't need to... Um, VT, you said it. You said a lot of it. I, I think that anybody who has been or read about or had any exposure at all to Japan will know that this sounds, um, you know, th this is very much in line with a lot of what they have going for them. I've always found the fact that people don't throw rubbish everywhere especially fascinating because rubbish bins aren't that easy to come by and the practice is to bring it home and throw it. Yes. And, you know, the point about it being something you inculcate from young is so important because I do think that some of these are bad behaviours that are normalised since you're a child. And so then there's a larger question question of um, it's too it's too it's how do you instill discipline what are the systems that you want to bring back is it education then are we back to perhaps even early learning education so there's really a lot to unpack when we think about why some of these things seem almost quintessentially Japanese uh, anyway keep your thoughts coming you can call double seven double three two nine hundred send us a voice note or whatsapp zero one eight seven eight nine double eight double nine tweet us at BFM radio we're asking you what best practices can what best practices can we take from other countries what would you like to see you can call double seven double three two nine hundred send us a voice note or whatsapp zero one eight seven eight nine double eight double nine tweet us at BFM Radio. Business, finance, and music. BFM 89.9. BFM 89.9, that was Can You Feel It by the Jackson 5. It is 5.51. You're listening to the Evening Edition with Sharmila and Lynn. And we've been asking you, what best practices can we take from other countries? What would you like to see? Naming specific countries would actually be great. You can call double seven double three two nine hundred, Send us a voice note or WhatsApp 018-789-8899. Tweet us at BFM Radio. Let's start with a voice note that's come in. This is from Girish. Uh, just listening to the show. Uh, yeah, I would say like definitely Australia, uh, in particular Melbourne, is a place where uh, you know a lot of their systems uh, for the people seem to just work really well. I mean, transportation and stuff like that. Uh, their infrastructure, everything is affordable, and they've got great like ticketing systems. Um, you know, and, and, and pass systems to, for everyone to get around. Uh, and it's just really accessible and easy to use. Um, but one of the things, are, you know, in Melbourne in particular, I think that they do really well also is the sort of cultural integration uh, because they have like a a, a, cult, a a museum, an immigration museum, you know, like I, I don't know where else in the world you'd, you'd find a museum just for, for like immigrants, but they have that there and you know, kind of like celebrating all the different like cultures that, that make up uh, Melbourne. And, you know, like, I think that would be something great for us to even uh, think about doing here. Because um, we're always talking about the different cultures and stuff, but, you know, like really transparently putting it out there, like, you know, showing where all the different cultures came from, maybe tracing like the history of our different like races in Malaysia and, you know, the origins, you know, the way back origins even of the the you know Malay Malays and you know where their roots come from and then you know Indians and Chinese and you know as immigrants and as traders and stuff like that that'd be something cool that we could do uh, here in Malaysia yeah thanks 
Girish, thank you for that. Um, a number of different things, um, all of which I think are great ideas. Uh, you're, Girish not the only one talking about public transport and Melbourne in particular. Yeah, Shariza says, I went to Melbourne for a study trip in 2016. Um, it seems that they work more on improving their public transport, even when it's already so good. We are the only ones obsessed with highways. <laughs> now, this is true. We, we really do prioritise highways to such a degree that it's... Um, it's. Uh, I'm trying to find a diplomatic. I don't have to be frustrated. It's, a, it's, it's so deeply detrimental <laughs> <laughs> to to everything. Um, but Girish, you know, I really love the mention of cultural integration. I think that um, maybe not everywhere in Australia does it well. And if you consider the recent um, referendum that did not pass, then I think that it's quite clear that Australia still has a lot of issues in relation to its uh, first peoples. But among other things, but I think that this attempt to create further cultural integration, to actually highlight different cultures and not just um, at not just prioritize assimilation is actually a really good one, particularly in the context of the lens by which many of our local museums tend to operate, which can sometimes feel exclusionary. Yes, um, I actually loved that point. Um, I was also thinking about how what what a big deal it was when they unveiled the Museum of African American History in Washington, D.C., and how this was something they'd been calling for for decades, and finally it opened, and uh, it's it's been widely praised, right? Um, um, and, and I do think it's important uh, that we learn how to do some of these things better. Uh, meanwhile, we have an interesting one from an Anon listener who says, Edinburgh for sustainability and carbon footprint, Plan Vivo is proven for forest protection, which again is based in Scotland. I think that these are interesting, particularly I, because I didn't necessarily expect Scotland to come mm. up. Um, but I think if we were to look to best practices for cities in general, we could do worse than Edinburgh. Oh, for sure. I mean, I'm not very familiar with Edinburgh, but um, I love that notion of um, actually having a plan that we can look to as a model. Um, let's see. We have an anonymous listener who says, we have poor leadership culture. We must take responsibility for low standards and substandard expectations. To begin to turn this around, we need accountability of leadership. No need to look far. Singapore, South Korea, Indonesia, and double exclamation marks. I mean, Anon, tell us how you really feel. Substandard <laughs> expectations. Um, I, I love this. I think that these are good references. Um, and they're good references. Again, I, I really think that, um, I don't know why I feel compelled to say that in looking at these countries, we're not, I don't think any of us are thinking of them as perfect examples, right? Just as examples of they do these particular things well. They have strong democratic systems, for instance. And these are good examples in that. Um, some people, though, questioning the entire premise of Lawatan Sambil Blaja. Chris says, why again? Why waste money, travel with little or no ROI? I'd rather have online learning, like using tools to conference with other government ministries and countries. I'm sure there are ways to learn, um, watching YouTube on how other nations do it. So you can learn from many governments and pick the best of each and implement them here. If there's a will, surely there'll be a way. Madi, though, says going for training overseas is good. It takes one out of your comfort zone at home, um, but our basic education foundation at home should be improved. Otherwise, it would be a struggle overseas. So I think two contrasting points. Chris, I, I hear you. Um, I'm surprised it's taken us this long, actually, to have somebody say, this is a waste of money. All of this is a waste of money because I think it's, it's very common perspective to take. I will say, though, what you learn on the ground, um, 
Because if you conference, how much are you actually able to observe, right? Um, you're, you're not actually going to be able to be on the ground, see something interesting and then ask yes. someone about it. So that's one thing. Um, the other thing is what governments might be willing to share government to government versus over YouTube um, may be very different. Um, absolutely. I mean, look, I know that we actually have a lot of baggage with this idea of sending our experts overseas because there have been all these stories of people going and bringing, you know, their partners and their family for a holiday or just there and I, taking hot air balloon rides or whatever it is that we hear or see pictures of and all these questions about is it just a waste of money. Um, but I do think that it, at the core of it, the notion of sending people uh, for an immersive training experience is actually very valuable. I've been lucky enough to be able to go for some of them. Um, and it's not just about, like you said, Lynn, the hands-on being there. It's also about getting out of your daily rat race because attending a Zoom call while also having your general meetings on a day-to-day -day basis and having to manage staff is very different from having, say, a week or two um, to invest in just learning and upskilling. And I think that can go a long way. I love this one from Fadzli, Danish work culture, specifically how their HR works as a check and balance between management and line workers, town halls where employees can question and call out leadership without retribution, not just a shots and deary session like in most Malaysian companies. Oh, that's a lovely one. Um, I, I do think that that's, uh, I've seen a lot of spoof videos about how Danish work culture translates across countries. And I think it's for exactly this reason. But Very briefly I, though. Which upper ups are going to be sending people to go learn how to question them? This well, is the problem. So that's the thing about the leadership point earlier as well. I mean, how do you tell a leader, go learn to be a better leader? Who's going to organise those trips? Or let me go and learn how to question you more so you can be a better leader, even worse. Right. Anyway, we might have scuppered our own point, but we have been talking about all these lawatan sambil belajar. Uh, anyway, keep your thoughts coming. You can call double seven double three two nine hundred, send us a voice note or WhatsApp 018-789-8899. Tweet us at BFM Radio. We're asking you what best practices can what best practices can we take from other countries? What would you like to see. You can call double seven double three two nine hundred, send us a voice note or WhatsApp 018-789-8899, tweet us at BFM Radio. You have been listening to a podcast from BFM 89.9, The Business Station. For more stories of the same kind, download the BFM app.